welcome to Data Science Perspectives. This series focuses on analytics and data science professionals from across industry to learn about how their career unfolded, what skills they look for when hiring, and what trends they think are coming next. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Let's get to it. Welcome to this episode of Data Science Perspectives. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Today, we're going to be joined by Melinda Barrero of Chick-fil-A. She and I first met several years back when she was looking for a speaker on ethics and analytics, and I agreed to come and spend some time with her and her team. She's been a key part of helping Chick-fil-A continue to modernize and enhance their usage of analytics. Her role at Chick-fil-A has included helping to build an internal consulting organization to work with business stakeholders to define, charter, and deliver high-impact analytics. She's had an impressive career. She started out in academia, teaching at the University of South Carolina, Lehigh University, and even the University of the Andes down in Columbia. From there, she moved into business with a focus on analytics and market research. She held a VP role at JFK Networks, an EVP role at TNS North America, which is part of the Cantar family, and was president of the PNG account for Ipsos. She's super laid back and easy to get along with, as I think you'll see. She enjoys mentoring others and has served on multiple university advisory boards. She has a bachelor's in math and stats from University of South Carolina, a master's degree in statistics from Virginia Tech, my alma mater, and also a PhD in business from South Carolina. And with that, let's welcome Melinda to the show. Hey, Melinda, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill, how's it going? It's good. I'm looking forward to talking to you because I know you have a you have a very interesting background. And like me, you got into analytics back way before it was cool with a, a classic statistics degree, just like uh, I had. In fact, several of them. Mm-hmm. What initially got you pulled into the world of what was then statistics and is now analytics and uh, has evolved to data science? Well, um, I kind of happened into statistics, actually. Um, I love... Uh, problems and solving problems. In fact, some people like my mom and dad say that I was the troublemaker in the family. So I try to solve more problems than I create, but I just love problem solving. And also growing up, I love math. I'm like one of those math geeks. And in fact, when I did my, my undergrad in math at South Carolina, I think I was the only woman in the program. Can you believe that? Uh, but I'm a math geek, and, and I was a geek even before geek was kind of cool. Um, and also, I love computers. So when I was in middle school, I think, I went to a conference with my dad, uh, National Federation of the Blind. My dad is legally blind, and um, they were demoing. Actually, Ray Kurzweil was demoing the first talking computer, one of early stages, And I saw this computer talk and I was, you know, like about in the seventh, eighth grade. And I was just mesmerized that a, a computer could talk and that because my dad couldn't see to read, um, this computer was like reading for him. And it was just so amazing. So I kind of got geeked out on computers, uh, but I loved math. So, um, you know, problem solving, uh, math, computer science, that's what kind of led me into it. And then stats kind of came in later uh, when um, the math people needed to get jobs. Uh, and it wasn't applied math. It was the kind where you do, you know, proving theorems and everything. Um, and uh, But we, we needed jobs. So we went into stat to get jobs. So probably not a, a, 
a total plan, but uh, you know, it's been a fun ride. Well, you have a background that's interesting as well because you've spanned uh, a, a number of different roles. So you started in academic roles with a couple of different universities, actually being a professor, and then you flipped over to business and had, you know, uh, in your introduction, I mentioned roles at a couple of market research related firms and such before you've more recently landed at, at Chick-fil-A. So what initially drew you over to the academic side of things, but, but even equally important, what drew you over into business from there? Well, academia actually got me into business because like I said, I was a math stat geek. Um, and I think, you know, we went to, to Virginia Tech and did some stat up there. Uh, but after Virginia Tech, um, one of my former professors in the math department called me up and said, hey, they're starting this um, new program, some master's in international business, uh, and it's funded by IBM, and uh, they need somebody to teach stat. So I said, why not? So I went down, and I had never had a business course, but they needed a stat professor. So I went down, and I, did, uh, I taught in that program, which, lo and behold, was like the number one program, and I think it still is. Uh, it's a great program. Uh, but I just kind of happened into it. And then um, I worked for the Center for Academic Computing that uh, IBM had given this big grant for. So really, I got into research by consulting in the Center for Academic Computing in the business school. So the professors from all over the business school would come in with their problems. And, you know, I'm the problem solver with STAT. So we got into it. And then I was like, wow, they're doing some cool stuff. Uh, I really like the stuff in finance and the stuff with the uh, consumer behavior, the consumer uh, marketing analytics. So they lured me in and then I got into academia and then, you know, you, you get a PhD and what do you do? Well, you do research in your professor. So uh, I went up to Lehigh and um, it was a tough market then too. I have this theme, tough markets, uh, but tough markets give opportunity. So I went up to Lehigh and they had a center uh, and it was a, a Martindale Center for International. And in that center within the business school, they looked at problems from political, social, and also um, business perspectives. So I wrote a little grant and um, went down and uh, to Bogota, Colombia at University of Los Andes. They had a partnership down there. And so I hung out for a couple of years in, in Bogota and I really got into business. So that's what got me out of academia. So academia got me into business and business got me out of academia because I went down to Bogota and it's like, wow, there's a lot of cool problems in the university, but there's even more cool problems inside these companies. So, and I was working with all kinds of companies. I had that opportunity, you know, um, cement companies, com consumer product companies, financial companies. And I was like, wow, I was like a kid in a candy store. So I stayed down there two years. And when I came back, I just stayed in consulting. So academia got me into business and academia got me out of business. Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, in the business that you went into, it was a lot of uh, market research, you know, more traditional market research. And and I know that uh, those two are often thought of as fairly distinct. And I, I've always disagreed with that. I think they they do distinct things, but they're they're aimed at at same places. So how do you see the overlap between traditional market research and more modern uh, data science approaches that are, you know, digging into these masses of data that that we didn't used to have, which led in part to the need for market research? Yeah, well, 
You know, we're similar in that we see the overlap, uh, Bill. Um, and traditional market research, at least that I understand it, you know, there's two components to it. You listen and you ask questions. And traditionally, at least in consumer research or human research, the listening was one-on-one -on -one interviews like we're doing or focus groups, small groups. And then you would ask questions. Now, traditionally, there were these long hour, remember those one-plus-hour one surveys, all the habits and practices that you have with this product? So and traditionally, we asked long questions. So now, though, in the modern time, we still listen and we still ask questions, but you're doing listening in a different way. So you listen by, you know, harvesting social media data, extracting the things that people are talking about. So that's all modern. Um, that may be traditional now, but that, that at one time was modern. So you're listening in different ways, and technology helps you listen. Um, you can actually listen or, or observe behaviors with cameras. You, know, you have to be careful about, with that because, you know, you want to do things um, in an appropriate way and not be, um, you know, follow all the rules and also do it ethically. Uh, but the listening now technology has helped, helped us listen. And then on the asking, the listening helps us get smarter. So we have to ask fewer questions because I don't know about you, but I don't like surveys. <laughs> so the fewer surveys that I can answer, the better. And then also when we ask questions now, frequently we ask them, we ask fewer, and we ask them in open-ended, purposeful ways. And then that open-ended, like, I could ask you, Bill, why do you like Chick-fil-A? And you would respond. And that's also text data that we can mine with things like natural language processing. So listening and questioning have always been around, but technology and models and methods now allow us to listen in different ways mm -hmm. and listen more and ask purposefully. Oh, nice answer. I like that. I've never heard that exact perspective before. So that's a new one. That's a new one for me, but it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, one thing I, I've been in Atlanta for over 20 years now and have watched, you know, Chick-fil-A just grow so fast and have such success. And one of the reasons is it's known for genuinely focusing on its culture. And, and I can tell you, you know, people, when you go to fast food uh, restaurants, you don't expect good service. You don't expect friendliness. But at, I go into Chick-fil-A's. I can't think of a time I haven't had, you know, friendly, nice service. And that takes some diligent effort. So what is it about Chick-fil-A's culture that makes it uh, exciting to be a part of that team? And then how do you actually go about instilling that in, in not just the people at headquarters, but the people out on the front lines? Um, well, I'm glad you have good experiences at Chick-fil-A because we have, uh, we're very purpose driven and we have a shared mission. Uh, and this is a tough, we strive to be the world's most caring company. Um, and, uh, strive means we always don't get it right. Uh, but at least that's our goal. We strive to, um, make, like if you visit our restaurants, uh, we hope you don't have to wait in line too long uh, to get fresh food. Uh, we, we hope you it's served with, with hospitality and with pleasure. And we hope when you leave that you feel better than when you came. 
even if you had to stand in line or wait in the drive-through. So our mission, uh, shared mission of care, we, we hire for that, but also we train for it in, in our restaurants, and we take it very seriously. Um, and really, it's from, it, it's from the, uh, the restaurant all the way to support center is, is caring. And so we want results. So we want you to get your food fast um, and, and on, you know, your order accurate and, and that, and that you'll feel satisfied with the good, high-quality food. So we want that result, and we want a relationship with you. And so that you'll um, feel better when you leave uh, and hopefully come back and tell your friends about it. So it's, it's about results and relationship and doing it with a mindset of care. And that's why, you know, we, we do hire in the, in the sports center, we hire for it. It's uh, a caring culture and it, it permeates our entire you know, organization. We're privately held, the Kathy family. They're a very caring family. Um, and so we care for each other. We're like family. And uh, we gave, we had some uh, team members. That's what we call the people that work in the, the, the restaurants. Uh, the operator runs the restaurant and then uh, that operator has team members. We had some team members in at the sports center the other day and they were interviewing them. And they, they, they basically said that the reason they like to work at Chick-fil-A really is because that restaurant is like their family. Hmm. And, you know, times are hard, especially we're, we're hopefully coming out of COVID and family's important. So uh, if you work at the support center, you have your family and also your Chick-fil-A family. And if you work in our restaurants, you have family and Chick-fil-A family. So really care is very important and uh, it's modeled. And it's also trained uh, for our restaurants. That's a, that's a interesting. And, you know, to your point, not all companies uh, focus on that. And, and it does seem like a, a type of skill and a type of approach that without practice and purpose, it's easy to lose, especially if you're in the middle of a lunch rush and people are harried both behind and in front of the counter and so forth. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a goal. It's, we strive to be the world's yeah. most caring company, but, you know, uh, if we don't get it right, we'll we'll try harder next time. Well, one thing that's really impressed me has been obviously COVID slammed restaurants, you know, amongst the hardest of, of industries. But Chick Fil A already had a pretty robust drive through and carry out business developed. So I think you know you all were able to pivot uh, much more rapidly and have much less of a, of a of an impact. But I imagine that for a while there, your team must have gotten pulled into all kinds of crazy. Uh, panicked analytical requests to help figure out what to do what without giving away any of the you know any of the proprietary specifics were there any any questions that you got asked or any of the problems that came up that really have stuck with you since uh, since the time they were raised um well we we all learned a lot i think collectively the world learned a lot during covid and uh you're right we were very fortunate to already have drive through um, up and running. Of course, we did have to um, make tweaks on that um, because of the volume, you know, with the dining rooms being closed. Um, unfortunately, all restaurants weren't in that position, so they had to innovate and open up, you know, like even fine restaurants had to figure out how to do curb and how to do delivery. 
um, we we had that. So really when COVID hit, in fact, Bill, I think you and I, I, I reached out to one of the groups that you're part of. Um, we, we basically, uh, we do a lot of forecasting, both, both restaurant-facing forecasting as well as uh, financial forecasting. And, you know, in the restaurant, the restaurant-facing uh, forecast, things like, you know, how many, um, how many waffle fries do we need, chicken breasts do we need to cook, uh, nuggets, grilled breasts, grilled nuggets. Um, many or most of those, and I may even say all, um, broke because these forecasting models uh, depend on time series and trends, right? And there was a disruption. Boom. The dining rooms closed. Uh, we didn't know, you know, everybody was told to stay at home. So our models were broken. And so through that uh, disruption, which lasted much longer than I think all of us um, liked, um, we had time to pause. Uh, actually, you know, COVID paused us. And we said, okay, what models do we need to fix first? Restaurant-facing forecasting, of course, there's relationship there, but we had to prioritize which ones to, to fix first. And then it gave us an opportunity to fix them, the problem, in different ways. So we had to look at new sources of data. Like in our forecasting models, we never had, you know, CDC data coming in. So we had to stream that in because we had to, just, we had to try to use the CDC models and other models to determine how long COVID was going to last. And it lasted much longer than, than we, we thought, and, and actually hopefully we're, we're on the tail end. But it gave us a, a time to look at new data sources and also new ways of estimating because we didn't have, you know, long time series anymore because it was disrupted. So we had to, to go into using methods, uh, Monte Carlo simulation kind of stuff that wasn't what we had traditionally done in the, in the uh, time series area. Um, so it gave us opportunities. And then as COVID progressed, of course, we all know supply chain came in. So we have supply chain models. So then you've got to work on like making sure you have just enough uh, supply. And then, you know, when supply chain was challenged, um, those models had to be looked at. But overall, through the through the through COVID, it gave us an opportunity to pause, prioritize because we had to what we're going to fix first, what's most critical to running the business, and looking at uh, our models and how we deploy our models in different ways. That's great. I, I will say you mentioned my favorite item on the menu at Chick Fil A: the waffle fries. Those are my favorite fries. I think the only way you could approve on those is to add in sweet potato waffle fries on the menu which uh, I'll just officially register that with you here today with no expectation that anything will happen, but I, I can sleep at night knowing I had made my attempt. So, yeah, uh, I like the sweet potato, um, sweet potatoes too, but waffle fries are also my favorite and unsweet tea um, because I, I uh, waffle fries are, um, yeah, they're, they're just good. Um, <laughs> well, you know, you, you've got a, a varied work experience and some varied skills. What, what's one trait, if you had to pick it out, about yourself that you think has enabled you to succeed over the years and particularly succeed in what's really a pretty varied range of uh, corporate and university environments? Yeah. Um, 
sometimes people look at skills and traits um, <coughs> using um, a T model, right? You've got technical or your technical, your hard models, and then your soft, um, more relationship models. I think you need both. And I think you need to, um, to focus on developing both. Um, when I started out, I really focused hard on the technical side. So I'm, I'm really grateful that I studied math and I had that and then went into um, statistics uh, as an application area. And I'm also glad in this strange ways that I studied math without computers, even though I love computers. And this is why. Um, if you don't have a computer, you have to focus on, more on understanding the problem to be solved, what really is the need, and then designing and solutions by looking at alternative solutions or ways of going. Because there's never one right way to go about solving a problem. Some are better than others, but there's always choices there. So I think if I had started out now, I would have probably been a bigger um, computer junkie, like programming nerd than I was back then. But um, I'm really grateful that I had that great training and a lot of professors that spent time with me teaching me the basics of design and good principles of you know, how to go about solving problems, understanding problems, um, and also looking that at them from different lenses. Uh, by that, I mean looking at them from like not just a financial lens, but also a consumer lens, a supply chain lens, a political lens, a social lens. And just looking at that, that problems from different lenses allow us to... Um, I think come up with solutions that uh, inform business decisions and maybe even life decisions better. So the technical is real important. Um, on the soft side, I think it is, um, I like helping people. Um, and again, I like I said earlier, I, I don't like, I, sometimes I cause trouble, I hope it's good trouble. But I really like to, to help people solve problems. Um, and that helping, uh, that kind of servant heart, um, I think has, has served me well. And I was taught that by my mom and dad. Um, so I had a good foundation to grow on on that. And then I think just having test and learn mentality, and I know that's hot right now, but I grew up, I'm first gen to be educated. Uh, and... Uh, growing up, my life was test and learn, right? Uh, if this doesn't work, my dad was an entrepreneurial business uh, guy. He said, if this doesn't work, let's try this, let's try that. So just that test and learn and then pausing after you test something to really understand what you learned, in particular, what not to do again. Uh, a lot of times people dwell on what, what went right. I think that's important because you need to celebrate that, but you also need to focus on what maybe not to do again. Uh, so the not list or the, the, that, that list is important too. So those soft and hard skills, but I am grateful that I started out with very good, solid technical math, um, stat foundation. Well, great. You know, one thing as students who are just about to begin their career or very early in their, in their career, um, what's one piece of advice, uh, that you would give them to think about? 
as they ponder a career in the analytics and data science space? Well, um, I, you know, you're the advice person, Bill. Uh, I may just give some suggestions. <laughs> uh, so I think, you know, and I still say this to myself, um, careers are long games, right? Now you have a lot of decisions to make along the trail, along the, the, the game or in the game. And there's actually no one size fits all career. Um, so it has to be right for you. Uh, it has to, you know, you need to make your own decisions. Um, and just remember that it's like a creative process, right? You're developing your journey and your, your career. Uh, if you had asked me, you know, even 10 years ago, if I would be thinking about chicken thawing and modeling for chicken thawing, <laughs> that's real fascinating, by the way, Bill, um, I, I would have said, what? I don't even eat chicken, right? So um, I think, you know, look at your, your, your it's a journey. Look at it as a, uh, a series of, of decisions and let yourself be open to opportunities. Um, like I consulted to Chick-fil-A I, before I came on board and I fell in love with Chick-fil-A as a company and I let myself be open when an opportunity came up. So that openness is, is important. Don't box yourself in. And I'm going to say, I boxed myself in because after I got a PhD, I said, well, I got a PhD now, so I'm supposed to be a professor, right? Right. I didn't look at like not being a professor, like going into business or going into a, a non-academic thing because I was like, well, everybody around me, they were professors. So that was the path. Now, I'm glad I took that, but you know, keep yourself open to alternative paths, not just what people around you are doing, even though I'm sure people around you are making great decisions for them. It has to be good for you and you and your family and for the stage you are in life. I think that is some terrific advice, especially for, for young people, the, the idea of not getting pigeonholed or worse. It's bad enough if other people pigeonhole you, but you pointed out you kind of pigeonholed yourself and that, uh, you know, you want to be open. I think that that's Great advice. Well, I think, uh, you know, I've taken a good chunk of your time this morning. I appreciate so much you, you offering your insights and uh, I will look forward to having a waffle fry soon. Great. And it's, it's my pleasure. Uh, and come down and see us sometime at the support center. You're always welcome, Bill. All right. Well, thank you.